Terry, again, it was a, was a wonderful experience. Uh, talking about giving, um, so um, we have two filters at home that we've been using, um, and we've replaced them with this system that we're running in the church. So they are in good condition. They run about $500 each. If anybody would like a filter, uh, come and see me afterwards. I'd like to give it to you. Also, we were given another wheelchair, uh, the wheelchair we used to use for Jackie's in beautiful condition, not a problem, but we're given another wheelchair, so we want to give that one that we had away. So if anybody needs a wheelchair, come and see me afterwards, all right? We'd be happy to sew, because as we sew, we praise the Lord. Well, <clears throat> this morning, uh, I just want to say this, that the Holy Spirit is going to take us to a spiritual gym. This morning, you're going to strengthen our commitment muscle. Our commitment to Christ muscle is going to be strengthened. So I want to ask you, are you ready for a workout? Are you sure you're ready for a workout? Say, I can do this. All right, we're going to start with a video. If you were to turn the lights off and begin with a video. Thank you. Let me finish with this uh, story. Uh, we go to China from time to time, and, and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time, we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunan province, and they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators as, so as to not draw any attention. And then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment uh, room. It's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in, and when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around, and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours, and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. And I looked at him and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up and they said, little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles, and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway, and as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break, and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh, yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize so many chapters? She said, in prison. She said, you have much time in prison. <laughs> so I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? And she said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper, and they bring it in. 
So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh, yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because <laughs> even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. And you guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. <clears throat> of course, not talking about us. Oh, wait, we do have padded chairs and air conditioning. And only a few have to drive more than 30 minutes to get here. Turn and look at the empty chair and said, ooh, where are you? <laughs> My sermon title this morning is, I'll do what it takes. Or, do you have a quit point? Is there a time when you will throw in the towel and say, enough is enough? I'll ask you a question. Do you think that the church in America is all about comfort and convenience, like he said, or are we tough and willing to endure hardship? Be honest with yourself. What do you think? Mm. In South Africa, we have a term. It goes like this. A-na. Can you say that? A-na. It means ouch. It means ouch. Um, I want to show you a couple of photos from the Philippine church that Jackie and I supported when we were on the cruise ships. If you would, turn the lights down a little bit. Um, that's them holding service. And as you can see, they have tarpaulins for walls, and or some walls, and uh, sitting on plastic chairs, and then there's you know, just nothing at the back. I have another picture. You'll see they're all very happy. If you show me the picture, there it is. Again, no walls, just a green top. And that's Pastor Joe sitting down on the right-hand side. Um, this is the church where um, we were on that cruise when I asked them how, how, how much would it take for you to build your own building, get your own property, whatever. And uh, I thought that the pastor said to me $8,000. 
And so I said, well, we'll, we'll give that 8000 to you by the end of this cruise. We'll trust God. We'll give it to you. And that night when Jackie and I were um, in the uh, gallery and I introduced Pastor Joe to him and I said, because uh, he was working on the cruise ship to send money home to his, uh, to his family and his church. And then he said to me, uh, no, no, uh, Pastor Henry, it's not 8000 it's 18000 And I go, oh. And I turned to Jackie and I looked at her and she said, not a problem. We'll do the 18000 and that's the thing I've learned not to ask Jackie. <laughs> I make the decisions in my house. I hope. No. God blessed us on that particular cruise. We earned so much money that we were able to give them the 18000 after six weeks. Yeah. Lights up. So that is the church. We visited them when we went to the Philippines in 2012. All of this, these stories are in my new book. Um, but we went to visit them, and um, they were on the second or third floor in a very rundown uh, facility. And um, Jackie couldn't go. There were no toilets. There were no elevators. So um, I went. Um, I think, Cindy, you stayed with, with Mom. And I went along with uh, Larland and, and Kevin, and we went to visit them, and when we walked in, there were 200 people sitting there, mostly children, on those plastic chairs. And they jumped to their feet and started screaming and shouting and worshipping and, and praying and, and uh, singing and everything. And they treated me like I was a rock star when I walked in. And what happened is that I began to weep and I cried the whole time I was there. I couldn't preach. I was just overwhelmed with the gratitude that they had towards us for sowing the money so they could build themselves or help themselves to a church and, and had grown to 200 people. And all I could think of, the only things that was coming to my mind was it only took money. It only took money. That's all I could say, it only took money. I wasn't asked to sacrifice. I was living on a great ship. I was making lots of money, eating fine foods, and all I had to do was give some of my money to help. But that money turned into eternal purpose for a church. And I'm just so grateful to God that he taught me those principles. And so I just wanted to share that with you. So let's get back to our commitment to Christ. I'm going to read out of the book of Hebrews. I believe the Apostle Paul is writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. Verse 32, he says, uh, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. The early days just got born again, right? First learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. They were going through suffering. They were baby Christians. Normally baby Christians can't go through that. They quit. They said, this is too hard. This is not what I signed up for. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule. You were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. How could they do that? How could they accept the confiscation of their possessions with joy? The next verse tells us, you knew there was better things waiting for you that will last forever. They looked beyond this world. They looked beyond what they had or didn't have. And they looked to the eternal future, 
with God. And they go, you know what? This is all temporary. This is meaningless. When I walked into our home the first night that Jackie had had the stroke, I went home alone. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. And I walked into our home. I switched the lights on and I had a look at the furniture. And it was beautiful furniture, beautiful paintings and sculptures. And I looked at them and they were completely meaningless. They had no value whatsoever because the only person of value to me was lying, dying. And whether she lived or died was more important than anything that I had in this world. And when Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man, if you earn the whole world, gain the whole world and lose your soul, what does that mean to you? And I understood that, my personal experience, because the things that I had were absolutely meaningless, meaningless when compared to eternity. So I have a question for you. Will you do what it takes? Or do you have a quit point? Let me keep reading. Verse 35. So do not throw away the confidence or the the confident trust in the Lord. Remember, the great reward is uh, it brings to you patient endurance. Say patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will and then you will receive all that he has promised. So we need patient endurance to go through any suffering, any problems, any loss of property or whatever it is, loss of things, loss of jobs. You persevere, you go through, it doesn't matter because you look to the eternal future. That's where your eyes are set on. You're looking to what's coming in the eternal future. All right, And then you don't give up in this realm. You don't quit in this realm. You endure because ultimately you will receive the promises that God has made for you. You know, we have a dream of having a bigger church, a nicer church, a better building, in better facilities, parking, great children's church facilities and youth facilities and multi-purpose rooms and a bigger kitchen and more toilets. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. And uh, some green grass and trees on the outside so that we could do outdoor events. You know, we have a problem because we are a restaurant, what they call a restaurant in a a hole in the wall. You know that? You said that's a great restaurant, but it's a hole in the wall. And uh, we are a great restaurant church, but we're a hole in the wall. And so what happens is people come, I'll never forget the day that... uh, Suzanne and uh, Mark arrived, and God had told Mark to come here, and they pulled up outside the door, and she looked at this place, and she said, I'm not going in. She said, I'm not going in. He said, well, I'm going in because God told me to go, so I'm here. I'm going in. And this is what often happens. People come, and they judge by the outside the content of the food that's being dished up here. And so we need to change the outside. Amen. So we can at least allow people to get through the outside. (laughs) Anyway, so we're not going to throw away our confidence. Praise God. Now, chapter 11 follows chapter 10. That's a great revelation right there. Uh, And chapter 11 is the faith chapter of, uh, uh, it's a hall of fame of faith people. And we're going to pick up again what the Holy Spirit said in verse 32 of chapter 11. How much more do I need to say it would... How much more do I need to say? It it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith 
of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Verse 33, by faith, we said by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled it with justice, and received what God had promised them. They received what God had promised them by faith. Now watch what they did. They shut the mouths of lions. Who did that? Daniel did that. They quenched the flames of fire. Who did that? Shadrach, Meshach. Yes. And they escaped death by the edge of the sword. Now watch this. Their weakness was turned to strength. They did this by faith. If you're weak this morning, understand that by faith, you can turn your weakness into strength. They became strong, which meant they were not strong. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. The woman received their loved ones back again from death. I know of two stories at least where that happened. Both Elisha and Elijah raised uh, children from the death. One was the widow woman. Remember that? The Shunammite woman. She was at her. And then the other one uh, later on, the, Elisha and Elisha. Both raised people from the death. My question to you is, will you do what it takes? Are you sure? All right, then let's read. Because you may have a quitting point. We're still reading what happened to these guys we're going to go now to the next verse in chapter 11. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. I want to warn you that that's coming. And even as we just saw that video, it's already happening in many countries around the world. Persecution, people having to give their life for their faith is happening. And people might be saying, well, it's never going to happen in America. Uh, you know what is happening in America? You're just not dying for your faith, but you are giving up your jobs. You're being silenced. You've been ridiculed. You've been told to keep quiet, right? It's already happening. So they placed, their, uh, they, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Once again, they did not put their faith, their hope, and their value in this life. It was on the life that was to come. People, if we continue to make this life all important, then we will give up. We will give up when we begin to lose out in this life. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. It happened to Paul. It happened to Stephen. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these people, all of them, earned a good reputation because of their faith. Will you do what it takes, or do you have a quit point? This is in the Bible. This has already happened to our brothers and sisters at the birth of the church. It's happening now around the world. Do not think that you live in America and you live in a protected bubble and that this cannot happen here and will never happen here. Let me tell you a story. 
found in Mark chapter 5. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and she had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I might touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Verse 34, and Jesus turned to her and said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So what is important about this woman? There was no quit in this woman. There was no quit. She was pushing forward to a goal that she had. She had a desire. She had a need. The need was great. She had been sick for 12 years. And according to the Jewish law at that time, she was considered unclean, and she was supposed to stay home and not be in public. But she heard about Jesus, and what did she do? She came pushing through the crowd. She kept saying, if I can but touch his, the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And she took her life in her hands because she would have been stoned. But she decided, I am going to go through. My need is too great for me to hang back. My need is too great. I've got to get to church. I've got to get to the place where they preach the word. I've got to get to the place where sick are healed. I've got to get to the place where people are being born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter if you ridicule me. It doesn't matter if you stone me. I'm going to the source. I'm going to the place. I've heard about the promise. I've heard that Jesus is there. I've heard the Holy Spirit is there. I'm going to push through the crowd no matter what the building looks like. Amen. This is what was going through this woman's mind. It didn't matter what people were saying to her. Stay back. You can't do this. She snuck in. She pushed. She forced her. She crawled on the ground until she touched the hem of his garment. The desire in her heart for God to meet her needs was far greater than the ridicule or even the stoning that she would have had to face. Say, I'm not done yet. Say, I have no quit in me. I can do this. Amen. Now, we, we read about, uh, we mentioned the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and we know what happened to them when King, King Nebuchadnezzar built that huge golden statue. And when the band started up, he said, everybody must bow down and worship the statue. And these three Hebrew boys said, we're not going to do it. They put their lives, he said, if you don't do it, you'll be thrown in the fire. So we still won't do it. They were threatened with their lives. Listen, they were threatened with their lives. They were said, if you keep on with your religion, if you keep on praying, if you keep on praying to God, we will kill you. Happening right back there, persecution for their faith. And they said, we don't care what you do. And we don't even care if God doesn't save us. We don't care because we know where we're going. We've got our eyes set on the resurrection. We've got our eyes set on eternity. So it's okay. You can kill this body. He can kill his flesh. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to compromise on what I believe. I'm going to push on and push through, and I'm going to go all the way. My question to you is, can you stand the heat? Because, thank God, Jesus showed up in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew boys. And when they came out, as you know, not even the smell of smoke, not a hair was singed on their head. Nothing, nothing happened to them whatsoever. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what? There's no other God except the God of these three boys. 
Your faith will turn people around. Your faith will, will, will let people know that there truly is a God worth serving. We also read here in the book of Hebrews about Daniel in the lion's den. And you know King Darius had made a decree. It was, it was a trap, actually, of his political leaders um, because they had, they had uh, decided to, to get Daniel and some of the Jewish boys, particularly Daniel, they were going after him. So they set a trap. And, uh, uh, and King Darius didn't realize it was a trap because his ego was involved. And they said, listen, nobody is allowed to pray to any other person or God except you for the next 30 days. And King Darius says, that's cool. I like that. I like to be in charge. Number one, yeah, you pray to me. His ego was involved. Pride was involved. But Daniel wouldn't. Daniel wouldn't quit on his, uh, and make a compromise on his faith. He wouldn't quit with his walk with God. He wouldn't quit with his religious stance. He refused to do what the king asked him to do. And God was okay with it. Are you out there? You've gone home. Just listen carefully to what I'm saying. Those who have ears to hear. Those who can read, read between the lines. So what happened to Daniel? Got thrown in the lines then. God sent an angel. Shut the mouths of the lines. King Darius now turns and says, there is no other God except the God of Daniel. See, Darius liked uh, uh, Daniel. He liked him. He was really upset that he had been trapped this way. But nevertheless, it was the law of the land now, and he had to follow through on the law of the land. Yeah, the law of the land. Interesting. Say, I'll do what it takes. You know, the only way, honestly, the only way that you'll be able to stare death in the face and not quit is if you have absolute confidence in the eternal life that you received when you gave your life to Jesus. If you doubt for a shadow, for a moment, that you don't have the eternal life, you will not be able to go through death if you're threatened. You will give up your faith. You will turn your back. I'm, I'm telling you now, you will turn your back. People are being threatened right now with their jobs, loss of, uh, you know, loss of income. They're being threatened with all kinds of stuff. And people are compromising. People are compromising. People are turning away. There, there, there is a division that has occurred in the church between those who will stand by faith against the virus, stand by faith against misinformation, and those who cave to it. We have lost many people because we took a stand by faith to stand against the lies that were being perpetrated and to believe God in the face of what was coming down. We lost people. We lost people. Good people. I was shocked. Division has come. Division has come not only in the church. Division has come in homes, in families. I heard recently of a family where the wife was Democrat, husband's Republican. And they got so angry with her, they separated the house into this part of the house is Republican, this part of the house is Democrat. The, video, the TV that runs here runs on CNN. The TV runs here runs on Fox. And then they got upset about to be vaccinated, not to vaccinated. And I don't want to tell you which one was which. I think you know. So now they're getting a divorce. Politics have come in to this thing. 
Division has come. The, 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 the whole COVID thing is called division. Can you believe this? This is a married couple. If it can happen in a marriage, it can easily happen in churches. And it is happening in churches. I'm telling you, the only way you can stand is if you have absolute, resolute confidence that when you make Jesus Christ Lord, you have received eternal life. Say, I have what it takes. Now, here's another beautiful story about the Canaanite woman found in Matthew chapter 15. A Canaanite woman, which means a Gentile. That's why I put the word up there for you to understand. What does a Gentile mean? It's just a woman that, or people that are not in covenant with God. The Jews had a covenant with God, Old Covenant, New T- the Old Testament. The Gentiles were not in covenant at the time Jesus walked the earth. So a Canaanite woman who's a Gentile came to Jesus pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Well, what parent hasn't thought that about their child at some time? Yeah? You're demon-possessed. That's what's going on with you. You're so out of control. You know, your children, one, one of the reasons God gave us children is to force us to pray. You'll spend more time praying just because you have children than any other reason. Hallelujah. Anyway, but Jesus gave her no reply. He did not answer her even a single word. This woman comes to Jesus, says, I've got this terrible problem. And Jesus turns his back on her, doesn't answer her. First rejection, first rejection, no answer. Then the disciples turn to Jesus and say, send her away. So the disciples must have been saying, shush, shush, get out of here. Stop this begging. Stop this noise. Go away from us. Leave us alone. They must have been saying that to her, but she weren't listening. So the disciples go to Jesus and say, send her away. Look, send her away. Second rejection. They were, she was told to leave. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. All she wanted was help. She wanted help from God. She wanted help. Jesus, heal my child. I've got this desire. I've got this need. Jesus, would you help me? And then Jesus responds to the woman, and he says, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. The third rejection, Jesus says, I can't help you. Did he or did he not say that? For some of you, you're not sure. He said, I've been sent to help the children of Israel. The lost sheep, that is my, he only did what the father told him to do. His mission was to Israel. His mission was not to the Gentiles. People are, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, you need to go to Bible college. His mission was to the Jews. That's what he was calling. And he said, I can't help you because I'm sent to, to help the people of Israel. But she came and she worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. She would not take no for an answer. It's like the three-year-old begging for candy. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. This is the fourth rejection. Now she's being called a dog by the very person she's wanting help from. So, uh, you're taking it out of context. I'm not taking anything out of context. 
Gentiles were considered dogs. They were without covenant with God. They had no value in life. They were just to, I mean, they had no value whatsoever, according to the Jews. They were considered dogs. They were. And Jesus said, I can't take the children's bread, the healing ministry for the Jews, and give it to a Gentile. You're a dog. That's what he said. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Oh, Jesus was always loving and kind and inclusive. I don't know which Bible you're reading. Go and have a look what he said. So he said, you are not included. You're a Gentile dog. You are not included in the house of Israel. I can't help you. Are you reading the same story I'm reading? And then she answers, Lord, even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. You know what she did? She agreed she was a dog. She didn't argue with him. She didn't say, I'm not a dog. She said, yeah, it's okay. It's okay if you call me a dog. I accept that. But you know, even the little puppies, even the little doggies, they eat the scraps, the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus says, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed instantly. My question is, how badly do you want God to help you? If you were rejected four or five times, if you had these words spoken, if you stepped forward at the end of this uh, service for prayer, and I called you these kind of names, and I, re I turned my back on you, and I said, you're not a member of the promised church. I can't help you. I've been sent to the promised church people only. Huh? You would leave and say, I'm never going back to that place. No love in that church. That man calls him a pastor. He's not a pastor. He's a demon. What would you say? This is what Jesus, our Savior, said. But this woman persisted. You see, what I see, that there is a correlation between the intensity of our desire and receiving from God. How badly do you want to receive from God? Are you willing to fast for it? Are you willing to pray for it? Are you willing to exercise your commitment muscle? Mm. Perseverance. Perseverance. Do you have a quit point? Say this, I'm not done yet. Say this, I'll do what it takes. Here's an amazing story of two blind men found in Matthew chapter 20. Two blind men were sitting by the side of the road and they heard that Jesus was passing by. They shouted out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they did what? They shouted all the louder. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped. You can get God's attention. You can get God's attention when you, are first, when you first feel rejected. When you first hear the demon spirit saying to you, it's not for you. You can't have that. God is not happy with you. Why don't you just quit and die? Why don't you just give up? You hear these words coming into your mind and you know it's the demons trying to talk you out of what God's promised you. But they didn't. And Jesus stopped. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And of course, they wanted to be healed and they were healed. Now here's the thing. 
Are you willing to be publicly humiliated because of your relationship with Jesus? And that is a question you're going to have to face because you will never be able to witness to somebody that you don't know without the fear of, of humiliation, without the fear of rejection, without the fear of saying something, don't talk to me about religion. Without the fears, listen, we didn't come here to do that. This is not appropriate to be shut down. Somebody trying to shut you down. Are you willing to be shut down? Are you willing to lose face because of your relationship with Jesus? How important is it? Now, Jesus said this in Mark 8. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with all his holy angels. I want to tell you something. The last thing I ever want to happen is when Jesus comes and he's ashamed of me. And I reach out to him and he goes, yeah, so I was about to say something. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, what about me? No, you wouldn't speak up for me. You're ashamed of me. I'm ashamed of you. He said, Jesus wouldn't say that. Oh, but it was him who said it. It was him who said it. Do you understand he's given you the, the test question before you get tested? Do you understand that? He's already told you what's in the exam. Don't ever say, well, I didn't know. Read your Bible and you would know. Come to church and you would know. And now you have no excuses because I told you. It's in the book. You see, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, 6, that he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Not those who casually seek him. Those who are lukewarm seekers. Those who come when they want to, feel like it, don't feel like it. It's rainy day, it's too hot. Air conditioning's not working. Seats are too hard. Not enough room. Whatever it is, guests in town, my birthday. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. What is the excuse? What is the excuse? Huh? Earnestly, diligently seek him. Well, what does that look like? What does that look like to earnestly, diligently seek him? Would you agree with me that a true heartfelt repentance, true heartfelt repentance, picture someone who's earnestly seeking God, turning away and earnestly seeking God. There's a heartfelt repentance. Now, Brother James gives us a wonderful picture of what this looks like. James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, this portion of scripture is most famous for being cherry-picked. In other words, we only pick that portion that we like. We don't read the rest. We don't like the rest. We never quote the rest. We only quote this part, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Or humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you. We like, we like those. We like this one. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That we like. We quote that a lot. 
But let's read this thing in context. You see, the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us, you must mourn and weep because you're genuinely disgusted with your past sinful life. And you refuse to justify your actions. So there's a time when you enjoyed the sin, but it's over. Now the light has shone. So your laughter is turning to what? Mourning. Because you honestly regret the way that you lived. You see, we could read this literally as a person turning to Christ for the first time. But you see, I'm going to read it for believers. Are you ready? We're going to read it for believers. Believers... Submit, therefore, to God. Submit to God. This is what it takes. Submit to God. Believers resist the devil. I say believers resist the temptations of the devil. Let me say that again. See, we read the scripture. We go, oh, well, by faith, I'm going to resist the devil when he comes. Through. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Resist the temptations as believers. Resist the temptation. Remain morally pure. He says, draw near to God. So believer, I'm near to God. Yeah, but you know, the Bible tells us if you'll draw near to God. Would you put them up? Um, I'm, going, I'm going down the list. Thank you. Um, you need to draw near to God. It's a deliberate decision that you make as believers. When we come into the worship meeting, we come to the prayer meeting, we draw near to God. We take time every day to draw near to God. The Bible says, if you'll draw near to God, he will draw near to you. See, this is, this is not so much talking to unbelievers as it's talking to believers. It's something that we need to do. Submit to God, resist the temptation of the devil, and then draw near to God. And then it says, cleanse your hands. Now, it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. So some people think, well, I'm a believer. I don't sin. Well, you just lied right there, so we got you. Of course you do. Of course you do. So what do you got to do? You got to cleanse yourself. It says cleanse your hands. Of course, it's not talking about physically washing your hands. It's what you do. It's talking about what you do. Cleanse your hands. And then it says purify your heart. Purify your heart. Your heart can get, well, I wouldn't say, I don't use the word condemned, but your heart can get, uh, Full of stuff. Yeah. Oh, another hundred bucks for the, bar, for the building fund. Awesome. We're making lots of money for the building fund. Each week your phone rings. Just remind you, okay? So purify your hearts. Purify your thoughts. Don't let your thoughts go down that way. Don't let your thoughts go down that way. Do you know that you'll never sin until you think it? So don't let your thoughts go that direction. And then here it says mourn and weep. This is being regretful of your sinful life, regretting your sinful life. And then as we close, humble yourself to God. Humble yourself. Look at it says here, humble yourself. Humble yourself. You know what that means? It means asking God to forgive you. I'm humbling myself, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. And then he will lift you up. Then he's going to make you the child of of God you're supposed to be. This is an ongoing process. This is a process. Is there any way we can put them up maybe 
one after each other so we can see it again. See, this, what we're looking at, these eight things are actually, are actually a way of life for believers. This is something that we go through. It's a lifestyle of, Christian, of Christianity. Say, I'll do what it takes. So here are eight things. Do these things. Do these eight things. Go to a spiritual gym. Increase your muscle. Work your muscle of commitment. And, just, and, and, and begin to say, it doesn't matter if it's hot or cold. It doesn't matter if there's air conditioning or not. It doesn't matter if the chairs are, are comfortable or not. It doesn't matter if anybody else greets me or not. Are you listening to me? It doesn't matter what else is happening in my life. I'm making serving God a priority. If you do not strengthen right now your resolve to serve God with all of your heart, you will be knocked out of the boat. Hear me, church. Hear me. I'm pleading with you. I have a burden from the Holy Spirit to warn you. I have a burden, a strong burden to warn you about your walk with God and about your commitment to the cross and not being set aside by small things. Somebody didn't greet me when I came in the church. Something else was wrong. I didn't like music was too loud, whatever. Please, please. Set aside the small things. Set aside the small things. Make your commitment to Christ. And do not consider this life, this life, worth dying for or getting upset about. Don't sell your soul to this life. Consider your eternal life and the resurrection life. And make a commitment to that life. And so you'll go through this life without, without being overcome by the problems in this life. Amen. Say, I'm not done yet. I'll do what it takes. In Jesus' name, I have no quit point. All right, every eye closed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, I'm going to do something a little different with every eye closed. Uh, this sermon was really for believers. I'm going to reach the heart of the believers in this house this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to make a fresh commitment. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I believe God is saying to you as a church this morning and individually, are you willing to do what it takes? Are you willing to go through suffering if you need to? Are you willing to make time to pray? Are you willing to turn off the television if you think that's a sacrifice to read your Bible or to pray? Are you willing to give of your finances to the kingdom? Are you willing to put God first no matter what? I'm going to ask you, if this is you, with every eye closed, you're making a fresh commitment this morning just to stand in your seat, and then we're going to pray. Just stand where you are. This is something that you're doing. God, see my heart. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to resist the temptations of the devil. I'm making a decision to draw near to you. 
Lord, I will cleanse my hands and will purify my heart. I regret the sin of my life, my past life. Humbly ask you to forgive me, Lord, if I've sinned against you. I know that you have made me your child, that you lifted me up. Holy Spirit, I pray for every person that has stood this morning. That this fresh commitment will not just be another service that they attended. But it will be a deep-seated, quality decision. To serve you with all of their heart. Even if it means ridicule. Even if it means persecution. Even if it means loss of job. Loss of possessions. Even if it means friends and relatives won't talk to me again. I'm going to stand for Jesus. If it means going to the lion's den or the fiery furnace. I'm going to stand for you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you're the strengthener, comforter, guide, leader, teacher. You're the power of God upon them and in them. I pray, Lord, as this body stands before you, they're your children, they're your lambs, they're your bride, they are your wife. This is your body. Holy Spirit, come upon them in a fresh way. In a fresh way. That they would be. 110% sold out. No compromise. Fully committed. Those that are weak. Will become strong. And I believe that by their faith. As we heard today. They will overcome. Whatever the enemy. Sends their way. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. And everybody said, Amen. Can you give the Lord a good praise offering? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So we want to pray for you this morning. Before we dismiss you, if there's anybody who would like prayer, if you'd like prayer for healing, step forward. If you'd like prayer to receive the Holy Spirit, step forward. If you'd like to give your life to Christ for the first time, can we have the pastors come forward? Prayer team, ministry team, come forward. Anybody who needs prayer for anything, we want to be here for you. Come down. We'll help you. We'll pray for you. And especially if you want to recommit your life in another way, you say, Pastor Henry, I prayed the prayer out there, but I'd really like somebody to pray with me. You can come on down and we'll pray with you as well. All right? Well, God bless you. We'll see a bunch of you tomorrow night at Bible College. Thanks for coming out. Have a wonderful day. Stay cool in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again. God bless you.